Um, I'm going to introduce Pete. Um, Pete Emmett, if you guys know him really well, but I, I would just say this as an introduction, and then Pete, you can come up and I'll pray for you. Pete is a gifted teacher. It's, it, we all have different giftings, and we're all made for the whole ball of wax, right? But there's certain giftings that are really significant that are, um, that are a unique piece we have. And so having Pete speak, he's spoken a lot this summer. He spoke at Board of the Balls Conference and did a great job talking about demonstration uh, and, and evangelizing and making a difference. Uh, he spoke at camp, and it was he and Christine spoke that night. It was a night that changed the camp. Um, but, you know, Pete is a teacher, but he's got a school in him. One of the cool parts about him speaking today is you get to know him in a deeper way, where the school that is really in to launch hopefully a year from now. That's the plan. <laughs> you know, you're going to touch Pete's spirit in a way that will make you pray differently for that school. So let's pray for him today as he speaks. Jesus, we're grateful for what you're doing in Pete and Christine. Grateful for the life of God in them. It's, it's deep. It's provocative typical of you. When you get a hold of us, you start doing things that kick everybody else's ducks out of a row. And we, uh, we're grateful for it because it's your life. And Lord, that's what we want today. We pray that you would fill Pete with your presence and Holy Spirit in a way where he senses peace in his heart, that there's clarity, and that you'll speak through him even words that he couldn't have reached for on his own. Pray, Lord, also for us that you'll open our hearts to hear from you and that, Lord, we'll hear everything you have to say for to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, Jimmy. It is great to be with you guys today. And just as Jamie was sharing about all of those generations, it is interesting to think that I guess I've been here for just about nine years when I moved from Boston. So, and the parts where we talk about, Chris always talks about this church being a spiritual family. Um, and that I was, I was really impacted by that when I first came. I was coming uh, in a place where things were a big mess. And so coming in, Pastor Chris and Jamie and many people in this church really helped um, connect me in. And one of the coolest things was, because it was a family, there was stuff happening all the time. And so it wasn't just a Sunday gathering that you could participate in. So as Jamie encouraged you, uh, I can give my testimony that getting involved with the life um, that all the people in this church have, whether they've been here a long time or a short time, is really wonderful. Um, whether that's in a home group or hanging out, honestly, I feel like when I first moved here, I think we did a move every weekend for about 12 weeks. Um, I thought that's all we did, but that's how I got to know a ton of people in the church, because every Saturday we were moving somebody else, and it was great, so there you go, you can move people. Uh, but it's, uh, I'm honored to be here and to have the chance to share a little bit um, what I think the Lord is saying in Acts, so I'll be continuing on. Chris has been doing just a great job in Acts so far, and I will try to add just a little bit, picking up where he left off. So um, we're looking in Acts 3. You guys can go there. We'll pull a couple verses on the screen at some point in just a little bit. Um, but as the disciples were launched on the day of Pentecost, they were on a mission. They were still a part of their religious institution, uh, but the life of the Spirit of God that was moving was bleeding out of the walls, into the streets, everywhere they went. And with it, they were beginning to share an alternate story, a different story. It was one that was good news to the hurting. 
but it was also a little bit threatening to the status quo. Um, Chris mentioned it, but we'll take a look again at the healing of the crippled beggar, and then we'll look at what happens afterwards. So with the healing of the beggar outside the temple gate, we start to see a pattern emerge. Um, so Jesus came in flesh. He came to set things right. And then all around him, time and again, we see a miraculous demonstration by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then there's proclamation of what he's doing and has done and will do. And then there's some suffering and resistance and persecution. But then there's exponential growth. So we see this pattern. Honestly, it's a pattern that was laid out by Jesus, right? He came in flesh. He came among us. There was a miraculous outpouring of the Holy Spirit symbolized by the dove descending when Jesus was baptized. There was proclamation by God himself. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Then there was suffering. Jesus went into the wilderness to be attacked, to be tempted by the devil. Uh, and then there followed an explosive outpouring of ministry, healing, and deliverance throughout the land. So we follow the pattern. In Pentecost, Jesus had walked with the disciples. He told them to wait for the power that would come by the Holy Spirit. And as he returned to the Father, the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit was demonstrated in the mighty wind and the sound and the tongues of fire that descended on the disciples. And then there was the proclamation. Peter delivered the message about the truth of what Jesus had done in their midst. And then some of the people mocked them and sort of dismissed them and made fun of them. But then explosive growth, 3,000 added to their number that day. So we see the same pattern again with this healing of the crippled beggar. Peter and John were with Jesus. They had known him, they had walked with him. Then this beggar is miraculously healed then Peter proclaims the message of what Jesus had done, that it was Jesus who had healed him and who could heal everyone who was listening. And then came persecution. Peter and John are quickly imprisoned and then imprisoned again and beaten, and yet the growth continues. By the next day after the healing, they said there were 5,000. So it keeps going. Let's look at the story a little more closely. So we'll refresh Acts 3, 1 through 10, and you guys can put it up on the screen and follow along. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave, him, gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So, 
Peter and John had walked with Jesus, and then by his Holy Spirit bursting into their lives, they were transformed. Every moment was pregnant with the possibility of what could happen and what God might do. Imagine the situation of this beggar at the temple gate. He's got a good spot, right? These are good people. I mean, these are church people. Church people heading into a religious service. Now, this of course isn't any of you, but you know other church people. Sometimes when you're heading into service, you may be occasionally caught up in the argument they were just having in the car on the way to church, or frustrated with a non-compliant child, or regretting the choices that they made last night or last week. And maybe they might be feeling the need to do a little bit of good works on the way into service to help bolster their image as good church people, earn some brownie points before facing the Almighty. Not a bad gig, right? I'm sure lots of people gave money. Uh, and not just to ease their fraught consciences, but also genuine care and compassion for this man. But no one ever expected anything to change for this guy. Maybe even including Peter and John up to this point, but today was different. The air was electric with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And as Peter and John were starting to get a hold of that Holy Spirit and learning to be led by it, they responded differently. The only thing they had to offer this man was what they had been receiving. And that was the love and the power of Jesus through his Holy Spirit. What I have, I give you in the name of Jesus. Walk. And instantly, his legs are healed and he goes out walking and jumping just to underline the point. Uh, in Isaiah, it says, then the, will the lame leap like a deer. So, filled with the Spirit, living life by the Holy Spirit will lead you into places and situations you never thought you would be in. And the answers he provides and the way he calls you to respond may require you to handle things in a different way than you ever have before. The Holy Spirit can bring change and new life to a situation that everyone else had written off, just gotten used to, accepted, and settled for. So where's the spirit moving today? What situations, relationships, circumstances have you written off or settled for? Watch out. The Holy Spirit is on the move. Uh, so as all the folks who recognize this man leaping, as the beggar who had been there for over 40 years, Luke tells us later, because he wants to get the specific medical facts straight. Uh, he had a congenital condition. He was over 40 years old. He had been crippled since birth. 40 years. It's a long time. People started to gather. Peter seized the moment. Uh, so we're going to look at a section of Acts 3.11 is the next part. While John the beggar held on to, well, the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, "Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk?" 
The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ, who he has appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days, and you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. It's a long chunk. We'll look at it a little bit. So the context for Peter's message here, um, pretty good on time for a sermon, right? Hey, uh, that was like, I don't know, maybe three minutes. Uh, maybe we have something to learn. Um, the context for his message and proclamation was the arrival of the miraculous, a supernatural demonstration of God's love and power to a person in need proclaiming to those who have just witnessed or experienced a miracle is such a different setting than trying to deliver good content to good people, right? Uh, if we are to follow what Peter and John were doing, we should encourage all the people we're encountering to learn to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. This is the same verse Peter had just quoted at Pentecost Last, uh, earlier in the chapter, and it's the verse that he quoted from Joel. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter takes no credit for the man's healing immediately. He says he was healed by Jesus' name and the faith that comes through Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. And in his little message, Peter lists all the aspects of Jesus' name. Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, God's servant even the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, the holy and righteous one, the author of life, the prophet and the one all the prophets were pointing towards, the stone the builders rejected that has become the capstone. Jesus' name is the fullness of his being. It includes all of those things and more. The religious leaders got wind of what Peter and John were up to, and they were greatly disturbed. 
So they had them arrested and questioned. Peter says the same thing again. It's by the name of Jesus that this man was healed. And many more people believed, and their number, just the men, grew to 5,000. Suffering exponential growth. So we see this pattern, right? Jesus enters in. The miraculous happens. There's a proclamation of good news. There's suffering. And then there's explosive growth. It happens in Acts. It's the pattern established by Jesus. All right, this is all well and good for Jesus and Peter and John. Isn't it a little messy? Healing people who have no business being healed? Forgiving sins? Proclaiming resurrection from the dead and new life? Isn't that a little chaotic? A little out of control? A little irresponsible? That's how many of the religious leaders in that day felt. Peter and John were causing commotion, and the religious leaders wanted to get rid of them quietly. It's the same thing the religious leaders had wanted to do with Jesus. He was causing commotion. It was too messy. He was saying people could be free and made righteous, regardless of who they were, or what status they held, or what background they came from. And furthermore, Jesus took care of whatever was holding them back, be it physical or spiritual. Man, he messed up the system, and they killed him for it. Now, it's easy to criticize the religious leaders of the day from this vantage point and speak pejoratively about them. But they are responding the way each of us do. Uh, the boy in the story is me. You see, we love our systems. We may not have the same systems as they did, but believe me, we have a system, each of us. We have our set of rules and rights and wrongs and clear lines of who's in and who's out. Usually it's a system that puts us in a pretty good spot. I'm not like those people. If I have an anger problem, I'm really good at being really focused on drinking enough water every day and telling everyone around me that they need to drink enough water. It's a great system, I'm good at it. See, we're all trying to manhandle this life into a system, something we can control, something we can manage without needing to resort to anything outside of ourselves or the power of a Holy Spirit or the supernatural which is just another way of saying without needing to change or be changed. We create systems that keep us at the center, whether they give us a way to maintain our self-righteousness compared to all those people who aren't fulfilling the system that I've made, or a system that allows us to give in to our self-indulgence because I've done all of these things and I just deserve a little bit, just a little bit of self-care. We create a list we can follow, and then it shields our hearts. But in doing so, we create a distance between our hearts and the one who created us and wants our hearts to be fully his. We get really good at managing system of all kinds of things. What we eat, how many steps we take, how much water we drink, how much sleep we get. 
or what music or podcasts we listen to or what shows or movies we watch. Only the right ones, of course. And we secretly look on down, we secretly look down on people who don't do the same. Maybe our system is what politicians we like, and always more importantly, which ones we don't like. Maybe it's being a perfectionist in school or at work, ruthlessly eliminating the possibility of failure. Or maybe it's being a slacker at school or work. Thank God we're not like those nerds. I can make a, I'm a teacher. I can make a really good lesson plan, like really good. Uh, on paper, the system is perfect, down to the minute. You could call it beautiful even. <laughs> and then kids come in with their personalities and their emotions and their hormones and they mess up my perfect, orderly, effective plan. Uh, and that's just one of the systems I have. If you ever want a fun, sad few minutes, just look up Messy on Instagram for a litany of meticulously curated photos of painstakingly staged messiness, but only a certain approved kind. It doesn't matter what it is. We're really good at systems. We love them and we fight aggressively to keep them working and in place. And Jesus comes along threatening to mess everything up, to change us and to change other people and to pull the rug out from under all of our systems and to blur the lines we've been creating about who's in and who's out. And he tells us the first shall be last and the last shall be first and you must decrease and he must increase. And the least, the lost, the lonely will inherit the kingdom of God. And we don't like it. We want to silence Jesus and not have to deal with it. We want to keep him at distance and keep him out of our way so that we can go about our business of being good people. And can't somebody get this guy under control? And like the religious leaders of their day, we send them to be executed. See, the penalty for upsetting our systems is death. His wildness is too much. His forgiveness is too generous. His grace is too free. If everybody behaved according to what he's saying, it would be chaos. There would be no order. No, he can't be trusted. See, Jesus didn't die because God had to punish him. He died because we had had enough of him. It was too messy. It was too out of control. So what do we do? Uh, well, the healing that Jesus offered to that beggar is even what Peter is proclaiming to the religious good church people of his day, and to all of us who push to have Jesus taken care of. Peter tells the religious leaders, you acted in ignorance. You didn't know what you were doing. God did. It was prophesied. He knew it would happen. His prophecies were all fulfilled. Jesus comes offering grace and mercy, and God knew we wouldn't tolerate it. 
He sent Jesus anyway to die at our hands, to be resurrected in power. Just like Peter's words to the religious leaders here, they're the same words to us. Repent and turn to God. He knows we're like this. Humanity has always been like this. We love our systems. So repent. Let him take it. Like Jamie was talking about, cast your burdens, including our systems and our white knuckle attempts to reduce life into something we can control. And instead of blessing our systems, he pushes them aside and gets down to the real heart of the matter because that's really what our systems do. They're a crude attempt to shield our hearts from letting everyone in because it hurts. And Jesus always goes right to the heart of the matter. He goes right to the root of our need that underlies our creation of all of these systems to justify ourselves. And he comes to see the holes in our heart. And what does he promise? Peter tells us. He promises to wipe out our sins, total forgiveness. Then he promises times of refreshing, spiritual refreshing. He doesn't just wipe away our sins, but he brings his righteousness and indwelling Holy Spirit in their place. And then the promise that Jesus, who has come, will come again to restore everything. Everything will be set right. The gospel of Jesus, what Peter proclaims here, it undermines all of our systems of self-righteousness and self-indulgence. The sins that we need to repent of are not just doing wrong things, but those decisions to live for ourselves, to live for our systems, and to keep God at a distance. The religious leaders in Jesus and Peter and John's day weren't necessarily evil. They were just really committed to their system, to their religious project. They were good at it. It kept everyone in line. What could be wrong with that? But it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, to correct our course instead of letting us persist in following a path or a system that will only get us more and more lost, further and further from him, and further and further from the deepest parts of our hearts and the one they're longing for. Repentance is a gift. Repent, turn to God. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Even people have been really committed to their systems for a long time. Even people who are clearly in the outgroup according to our systems. Even a beggar who'd been stuck in his situation for over 40 years. The Holy Spirit is on the loose. No system is safe. But what freedom and peace he brings when we no longer have to hold everything together and prop up our systems and we can let our hearts be healed by Jesus instead.
in a life in the spirit that the disciples were living in Acts that we can live in today. We can encounter Jesus incarnate among us. Then we see the miraculous demonstrated. Then we need to proclaim the name of Jesus as the one who did it. And then we will suffer. Some of that suffering will be persecution at the hands of others. Some of it will be having to die to our own selves and let go of our systems. But then there's explosive growth, total forgiveness, spiritual refreshment, leaping and dancing, and more added to their number day by day by day by day. There's power in the name of Jesus. We can be freed from the tyranny of our systems. Call on the name of Jesus and be saved. Amen.